there was one time I was so sick of working on it. I mean, I was just like, I just don't want to work on the same work as I actually packed up literally everything, all this new stuff I had put it in the trunk of my car, drove it actually about an hour North to meet with my partner. And I was stopping by to tell him like, I'm just done working on this. And I was actually going to drive in another further hour North and leave it at my parents' house. So I never would be, so I just wouldn't be tempted to go back to it. And then when I got there on that particular day, he was just so bullish about the idea of doing this company. It gave me encouragement. I never even actually told him I held stuff in the trunk, <laughs> but I literally just drove back and kind of continued working. You're listening to the Unstoppable Business Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lee. So today we have Eli Lazar, and he's a co-founder at Snooze, an ultra-portable sound conditioner featured by Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and PC Magazine as a device that turns your bedroom into a haven for sleep. Eli, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely, man. So... I guess, uh, what was like the personal moment that inspired you to create this product? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's probably a strange path, but I imagine most companies find themselves on a strange path. Um, I was in college and, you know, I slept with a fan pointed at the wall every night. And like, actually, I was so addicted to it. Even when I would go travel somewhere, I'd pack it in my suitcase and I'd travel with a fan. And, you know, it just became apparent that like a lot of people I knew was doing the same thing. So my other co-founder, um, his name's Matt Snyder, we were actually at a wedding one time and we were just sitting at a table and we both kind of like recognized this. And we thought, you know, what a strange thing because, you know, fans are designed to move air with minimal noise. People are trying to use them the opposite way. So it was kind of like a product mismatch. We didn't know white noise machines even existed. I was, I never even heard of them. But we, when we looked, we saw, thought a lot more kind of ugly and outdated. And we wanted something that would be like, you know, it wouldn't look like kind of a medical device in your room and would kind of give that kind of rich kind of air sound. So we kind of set off on a journey from there. Um, and that, that was kind of the inspiration, I guess. And, you know, I've, deep down, I've always liked the idea of having a business, not necessarily because of like, you know, the financial rewards or just the excitement of it, which is all there. Because I always think if you can build a business and you can build it right and you hire people, you train people, it provides like a stable platform which other people can kind of launch their lives from. And that's, that's kind of really what drives me, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. That's an inspiration. You know, we definitely need like more entrepreneurs like that. It's just um, constantly creating like great products for people. Yeah, revolutionize uh, the industries. Um, so what did the journey uh, to the creation of the product look like? Was there, uh, was it like super easy? You know, like, did you have a background in it? You know, was it easy to set up or was there a lot of problems and setbacks? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, so, so I'm, so my background's mechanical engineering. Um, actually my undergrad was aerospace and then for grad school, I did mechanical. My partner's background, he was a marketing guy. He actually worked at Zappos and like I worked right out of college. I worked at Caterpillar, um, kind of in the fan acoustic space and in the simulation space. Um, and Fan acoustics, unfortunately, it's more of an art than a science. And for an, on the engineering front, that makes things really difficult because there's not really equations that kind of can guide you. It's almost like you kind of have basic principles, but there's just a lot of playing around with. So literally probably from my first day I started at Caterpillar, I started working on this. And I'd say it probably took us two years of like 
tinkering. And I was too, and that sounds kind of, you know, like two years for, you know, like a little simple white noise machine, but fan acoustics is kind of like at the, uh, the most challenging, it's probably the most challenging area in kind of fluid dynamics for engineering. So anything with airflow, it's just challenging to control it. Um, especially in the quiet of a bedroom where a person, when they close their eyes, they hear literally every single frequency in their room. And, you know, people are pretty critical, especially at, if they're trying to sleep and they, you know, you pick up on little noises. And actually that's a lot of complaint on the digital white noise machines out there is people can pick up on um, the repeating sounds because it's like a looping sound or something. They can just pick up on it, not in a regular room, but when you're sleeping and you're closing your eyes and, you know, in the dark of a bedroom, it's like your ears just become kind of more tuned. Um, I, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming there's some kind of science behind that when if your vision goes out that your ears start to kind of pay attention more and you just pick up on all those kind of frequencies. So two years, it probably took us. And I can tell you, <laughs> there was one time I was so sick of working on it. I mean, I was just like, I just don't want to work on the same work because I actually packed up literally everything, all this new stuff I had, put it in the trunk of my car, drove it actually about an hour north to meet with my partner. And I was stopping by to tell him, like, I'm just done working on this. And I was actually going to drive in another further hour north and leave it at my parents' house. So I never would be, so I just wouldn't be tempted to go back to it. And then when I got there on that particular day, he was just so bullish about the idea of doing this company. It gave me encouragement. I never even actually told him I held stuff in the trunk, <laughs> but I literally just drove back and kind of continued working. And, um, you know, that was on the development front. And I can say we finally got to a point where we had a product um, that people actually like, like family and friends would say like, you know what, like, can I keep this? You know, that's kind of like a tipping point because most people, you know, your family and friends, they're always going to be nice. They say, oh yeah, it's, it's not bad. That's usually code word for right. like, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. But once they got to a point where they said like, can I keep this or can you make me one? We just kind of felt like we were on the right trend, uh, on the right kind of trajectory. And then. You know, from that point, um, we did Kickstarter. That was kind of our next step is, uh, is launching the Kickstarter. And then, uh, I don't do you want me to kind of go into that whole Kickstarter thing just yet? Or <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Go for <laughs> so, it. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, all entrepreneurs, I think, face this problem. And, you know, it's like, how are you going to raise, how are you going to get money? Because hardware is not something that's really popular um, amongst investors. Um, the reason being, it's just very capital intensive. You know, you want to, you know, in the beginning, you produce a device and, it's, you know, your, your cost of goods is going to be at its peak because you're new and most companies produce, we've learned this, most companies will produce their product one time, one production run, and they never come back. It fails or they just give up or something happens. So, you know, contract manufacturers will usually charge the highest premium right up front. You get terrible terms and you essentially are just paying hundred percent almost up front. So you need a lot of cash to get off the ground. Um, and we went to Kickstarter, which, you know, is... 50% scale, 50% luck. Um, so we did about half a million in, in 50 days there. And that was, um, we were quite fortunate for that too, because we've seen Kickstarters um, that, you know, the really famous Kickstarters, that cool is cooler. And I think they raised like 13 million or something like that and you know, about the same time period. But what most people don't know is I think it was about six months before cool is cooler ran the same exact campaign, pretty much the same campaign. They made small tweaks. And they actually failed. They didn't even reach their goal. Their goal was maybe at like 200,000 or something. Now, what changed? I don't know. It's just a little bit of catching fire and at the right time. And, and the press has always like, it's been a little leery, at least with us, of covering Kickstarter campaigns. I think because they're worried like, well, if 
you know, but they don't deliver their product. Does it reflect badly? So we were, uh, we were definitely on edge on that one, but that's really what propelled us to, uh, to be able to kind of make the product. Um, and then on the manufacturing front, boy, that was, a that was a arduous path as well. That yeah. pretty much we, our campaign pretty much ended at the end of 2015, all of 2016, we spent trying to figure out how to make the device. And, um, <laughs> one of the early kind of mentors we had told us, you know, with suppliers, we were like trying to set up supply chains that he said, never underestimate, uh, face-to-face diplomacy. And we've learned that's really valuable because you can set up suppliers and get everything, but until they see your face and you meet with them, it's just, everything changes. So 2016, we found our suppliers, but we visited everybody and we, we kind of flew around, you know, we got partners in the U S some, you know, we use some components out of the U S some, some kind of in other countries. And we've, uh, but we kind of flew around everywhere to make sure everybody saw our face and knew us. And we learned that's been real valuable. <laughs> gotcha. Wow. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, while you're building all this, right, there's, there's also that one, that thing that's like lingering, which is like the proof of concept, right? Making sure that it works. So uh, when did you guys achieve that? Was this before Kickstarter? You know, you tried it on certain people and they were, they told you about the results or was this after? Um, well, a little bit of both. I mean, we had a product that a proof of concept, like a, a device that I actually was sleeping with every night and that other people liked, but it was like a handful of people. It was like, you know, 10 family, friends, 10, 15, you know, 15 people. We'd kind of, had kind of like been able to test out the device. So we thought it was good enough. And, you know, like in the beginning, it's good that you don't know a lot because, you know, like you can get away with it. Cause you don't know that now I'm like, well, 15 people, you need more than that. But at the time it seemed sufficient. <laughs> and so we had that. And then, you know, we did Kickstarter and Kickstarter is kind of, a, you know, it's like, well, people don't really get the product. So it's just a little bit on faith that they're going to like it. So, you know, really didn't get to, I think the real proof of concept was really when we got that first Amazon sale, that first Amazon review, let's say that's kind of when we were wow. kind of wow. holding our, yeah, we were really almost holding our breath a bit because, uh, you know, now I almost take it for granted. I'm all, I sorry, at the time I took it for granted that things were just going to work out. Now I kind of reflect back on that and I'm like, man, we, we were quite fortunate that things have worked out so, so far. Um, they worked out well. So I'd say the real proof of concept probably came uh, in 2017, although we did have definitely had a prototype we thought was good enough when we went into Kickstarter. Um, I think actually that might even be a requirement by Kickstarter is you have that. Um, I'll mention too, during this whole time, we were, we both had full-time jobs. So I was full-time at Caterpillar. My partner was full-time at Zappos. We were kind of running everything as a night business. Yeah, really actually until April of 2019 um, is when we quit and started full time. So <laughs> awesome, man. That's, that's an awesome story. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, go ahead, go yeah. also I, I was kind of curious cause you, you mentioned like, um, you always before, before you had you created this product, um, that you would sleep with like a fan in the room, right? Was there other things that you tried, um, to also like to also get to sleep, you know, in other ways? And did you find them more like, they were really flawed, those sort of solutions? Well, you know, mostly, okay. So like, I mean, now we've been at this for like four or five years. So like, I kind of know all this data, but like my guess is in the U.S. I think U.S. is, I think other parts of the world too, but in the U.S. I know the data mostly. I bet you it's something like one out of 30% of the population or maybe 40% even sleep with a fan at night. That's my guess. Or a white noise machine. But let's say 
some kind of noise they sleep with. But I'd say maybe the white noise machine is like 5% of the population. Most people are just buying a fan and they don't want the airflow. And like, if you know, if you go read Amazon reviews and we've read probably, 10, I bet you we've read 10,000 Amazon reviews at this point. And um, I mean, a lot of people comment, they use their fan for sleeping. I, I think some people don't really know there's such a thing as a white noise machine. Now, what's the problem with a fan? Well, the reason we thought fans were really flawed is for one, like, you know, fans are not really tuned to noise. Um, and like, you know, I've had plenty of fans that like, you know, might use them for a little while. Then it develops like a little bit of a rattle or something like that. And that will keep you up and, you know, they're not easy really to travel with. And like I said, I've, I've stuffed fans in my suitcase and, and flown across the country with them, which is borderline ridiculous. Um, and then the white noise machines, you know, a lot of them are just kind of cheap and ugly looking. And, um, and that repeating, uh, like the recordings that kind of repeat, I just never really liked that. And, you know, I almost equate it to like an acoustic piano versus a, a digital piano. It's just, there's something about, actually, I think there's a word for it. I think it's the, um, is it the, uh, the timber? I think it's called the timber. I think that's what's called, which is kind of like the perceived sound quality, which is why like, you know, a digital piano can play the same note as an acoustic piano, but people will say, you know, I prefer that acoustic one. It's just, there's some something about the way that the note rises and falls that it just appeals to people more. So it's the same thing I think with white noise machines. It's just, you know, like we just took a lot of time to really kind of create what I'd call like a signature sound that we think is just tuned just perfectly for a bedroom and for sleep and kind of like soothe people to sleep. <laughs> gotcha. That's awesome, man. So, um, I guess, um, can you talk more about, um, you know, what happened after like the first Amazon sale? Yeah. So, um, you know, post Kickstarter was an interesting, that was always, it was a real grind. So, you know, <laughs> let me, I'll, I'll walk you into the Amazon sale part. So, you know, we, we ended our Kickstarter campaign in uh, late 2015. We had about seven, I think we had about 7,000 units. So about 5,000 backers. Um, all of 2016, we spent trying to figure out a manufacturer. 2017, we fulfilled. Um, and, and, and we also, we produced about 10,000 units. So 7,000 went to Kickstarter backers, 3,000 Amazon. Um, we actually, uh, shipped all 10,000 units to a small home in Bourbon A, Illinois of our in-laws. And they had kind of like a little gym area. And we literally had the trucks pull up, drop 10,000 units on pallets in the driveway, manually took boxes in. You know, now 10,000 units is about two pounds a unit, two pounds per unit. Wow. So it was 3,000 yeah. pounds of units <laughs> we brought in. We actually literally like, we're a little concerned for a while. Like, man, like can the floor handle, you know, 20,000 pounds? Like, <laughs> but, and then we hand fulfilled ourselves literally every unit. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. I think we spent about 75,000 on uh, postage. Um, and the, it's a small, it was a small town in Bourbon A, Illinois. And I think the post office had no clue what was going on. Like, why we brought 7,000 packages in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we learned a lot of things too in that. So like during that one, um, we were so nervous, at least probably, at least probably from my experience at Caterpillar, I was just so nervous about defects and about manufacturing issues that we hand tested um, pretty much all 10,000 units. Um, it was just, uh, it was like a, like a 8 a.m. to like 2 a.m. type endeavor for like like four days we did basically. Wow. Um, yeah, fulfilled yeah. everything though. And then we shipped the rest off to Amazon and that was, uh, it felt good. Actually, 
what really felt good was to fulfill Kickstarter because there are a lot of campaigns that just don't. And, um, you know, and, you know, you feel terrible about that. You took people's money and, you know, you didn't fulfill. So I was actually really grateful that we were able to get to that point. Um, and then the Amazon, yeah, that first sale, that, that was always, uh, you know, that first review is actually, was, I remember the first sale. I remember exactly. I was at Caterpillar. I was actually working on some more project. My partner said like first sale. And then another day, I remember first review and we were lucky it was five stars. <laughs> um, and then since mm. then, you know, Amazon's, you know, like everyone else, like, you know, Amazon's the place where you sell, but it's uh, it's a difficult space to be in because there are a lot of fake reviews going on, a lot of people paying for reviews, a lot of people um, sabotaging other people's reviews. So I like to think we're a completely white hat company. Like we don't do any manipulation. We just take what we get and like we try to like whatever Amazon says are the rules, even if some we think are unfair, like we just abide by them. And that's tough because we, we see competitors around us that we are I mean, positive that they don't like i've even actually bought i remember i even bought kind of a product once where it was a 20 product and i got a card inside that said they paid something like you get an 18 gift card for leaving a five-star review so <laughs> that stuff's common and it's so tempting but we just we've never engaged and we, we just my partner is always like you know if we're going to build a brand like we just got to have like a really honest platform and we just got to stick to it and but fortunately it's worked out. Like I think we're still over 2000 reviews and we're still in the 4.7 star range, which is, you know, pretty good for uh, Amazon. If you're not manipulating or anything, that's pretty uh, right. heard of actually. So it's been, right. it's gone well so far. And um, another thing too, that we, that happened to us after Kickstarter is hotels. Uh, we never once thought a hotel was, we never even had hotels on our radar, but what happened was uh, Four Seasons in Austin, Texas called us right after our Kickstarter campaign. And they told us, you know, I've always wanted uh, white noise machines in our hotels, but we've always thought they were too ugly. He goes, this is the first one we think is really like. <laughs> so we didn't actually believe the guy when he emailed us. We actually thought it was like, no, like Four Seasons, no way. And we were kind of like slow to respond and but it turned out to be true. And um, since then, we've gotten into more hotels. We've never really kind of actively pushed for it, but it's just kind of worked out. So I'd almost would say the hospitality side has been, you know, it's, it's starting, I don't want to say it's rivaling kind of the consumer side, but I'd say they're, they're, they're definitely kind of both uh, something that we give a lot of importance to at this point. Um, and we kind of continue to push that, that front. Um, and then, you know, from there too, I guess we've, we've kind of branched off into other, um, other kind of retail channels. So like obviously our own website and um, like we did Good Morning America um, just well, was about a month ago. And then, um, and then we're going into a first retail store this um, Q4. So we've never done retail before. It's always scared us. Actually, I've always been terrified of retail, but we found kind of, uh, we were approached by some retailer that kind of just kind of put things in place to make it seem like it could make sense, at least to try it. Um, I don't know what's going to happen post. A lot of people tell us like, be really careful of retail. Like it can really hurt a small company if you're not really stable yet. So <laughs> that's awesome, man. And uh, Eli, how does it feel to have like something that you created, you know, become so big, like where you're just well, spreading it? all over the world. Well, for, I'd say like, I, I, you know, we're not that big yet, but, but it, you know, it feels, 
you know, feels uh, a lot of things it brings out, you know, like for one, <laughs> you know, like um, I guess like there are times when you're, you know, I, I can I sit back and I say, man, like this is just the fact that you created anything that somebody likes. Is, you know, it's really, it's really satisfying, you know, like, I mean, we'll get some really like, um, like, I don't want to say like, I don't know why, maybe it's because a lot of people who buy our product have problems sleeping or something. And they'll send us like kind of these glowing reviews. That's like life-changing type stuff. And, you know, and maybe that's why like people write that is because they feel like, man, I, I sleep so much better now. So, you know, that part always feels really good. And when I think about that, but but then, you know, there are other times, I mean, I always say this, if I ever wrote a book on entrepreneurship, and I never would, but if I did, the title of the book would be It's a Lonely Place. Because, you know, when you're in the thick of it, you know, it's like, like, when we first started, it was like 90% of the time I was in despair, 10% of the time I was excited. <laughs> wow, really? Now, yeah, now it's probably 20% in despair. <laughs> 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 well, it's, and, and you know, you try to, and like, it's not... Um, and I'm sure you can relate to this in some way because of starting your podcast. It's like, you know, you just don't know what's coming. It's like, you don't know what's around the corner, you know? And I, I got a lot of friends who've got, you know, good jobs. And, and I had that stable job at Caterpillar. And, and sometimes I, I long for it, you know, because, you know, it's like that great irony is like, we have this sleep company, but I mean, I, I, I lose tremendous amounts of sleep working on it, you know? So, mm, and like, wow. you know, and I, yeah, well, it's just the way it goes, you know, I'm like, there's just, there's always work to be done. You know, like <laughs> I told my wife when I, when we, I quit Caterpillar, you know, like the first day I said, okay, and I like reading a lot. And I used to try to read 10 minutes a day. That was always my goal. And I told her like, okay, I'm going to read an hour a day. Now that I've got all this extra time, I can tell you, I probably read close to nothing a day anymore because I just feel like so overwhelmed. So part of that's self-inflicted. Like we've got a few new products coming out this year. And we've kind of put an aggressive product map kind of ahead of us. So some of it's kind of self-inflicted, but there's also that kind of like, you know, thirst to keep growing and, you know, to get down because, you know, we're always, um, we're just always, everybody's always kind of, nip, there's always somebody nipping at our heels, like competitors. Like we don't know, like tomorrow, Amazon could come out with an Amazon basics white noise machine and just wipe right. us out. Yeah. And that's just the reality we live in. And, because we only have one product right now, even though it's done well and, you know, for the last, I guess, three years, we've been selling it. We're actually more about four. So there's some like stability that comes with that, but we have one product. So it's like, you know, if we have a bad day or something happens, that's like, that's the whole company. Um, and especially at this point, we've hired a few people and, you know, I feel like a sense of moral obligation to keep them around and not let them worry. You know, like when I was at Caterpillar, my last year at Caterpillar, 10,000 people got laid off, you know, like I actually wow. saw one guy who left crying. He'd been there 25 years. Cause he was, Damn. you know, yeah. And like, and when I left, I just, I said like, man, no matter what, I don't ever want to do that to people. Like, I don't know if I can. And like, but I do know I want to, I mean, I work with that intensity of like, I don't ever want to tell somebody like they have to be laid off because I feel like I've seen it. And like, I just don't want people to worry about their job. Like that means that actually means like more to me than even the product and success and anything. Um, I just, I just don't want that. I don't want to see that happen ever. So, you know, in that sense, like, um, you know, it feels good, but there's probably a little bit, it feels good, I guess, to see the product being received well by people, but also a little scary because, you know, we kind of have to keep going deeper and deeper into this. Um, and I kind of feel like right now, um, which I've heard from other kind of uh, investors and startup com you know, companies that have kind of 
you know, continue to progress that we're right at this critical point, probably the most critical point of our entire like company where like, we're not just kind of like so small that like, you know, like it's almost like, well, if sales stopped for if something happened, we lost sales for a month, it would be no big deal. We could always, you know, we can put things on pause, but we're not so big that we can really absorb like a lot of, um, say like, uh, like disappointments or a lot of things that kind of, that come bad. So, you know, because at this point we've got a warehouse and office employees, but so we're kind of like right in that middle point where, you know, so I'm really hoping in eight, six to eight months, we'll kind of push through that. And then I breathe a little easier, but <laughs> right now, yeah, it's, it's always, you know, but I welcome it because, you know, I always feel like these experiences, even though they're sometimes uncomfortable, like it, it kind of gives me the, um, like, you know, I can't relate to other people. I feel like unless I've kind of experienced, you know, through hard, you know, I don't see it. I'm going through hard things, but just, just kind of like the day in day out grind. Like it just always makes me more like, uh, like tuned in more, I guess, to like what other people are dealing with because, you know, <laughs> like Caterpillar, you know, everything's kind of comes, you know, when I was there, it was like, you know, everything's stable. Like I just, I didn't worry. Like on weekend calm, like I never thought about Caterpillar. I never ever worried like, you know, what if pay- paycheck stops or what if a Caterpillar machine goes bad? I never worried about that stuff, but you know, now it's like, it just follows you around. <laughs> right. So, and you know, yeah. everybody relates to that. So I'm, I'm not special in saying that. I just given you my inside mm-hmm. view on things. <laughs> I think it's important because people need to know like what they're getting into and like, um, you know, like, what are the sort of things that, that happen after, yeah. uh, you know, company grows um, yeah, the yeah. responsibilities, right? Also yeah. the benefits and the responsibilities. You're like Mr. Sandman where you're, <laughs> you're working all the time helping other people sleep. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> so that, that's, that's true. I never thought about that, but it is true. I mean, like I cannot even remember the last time I slept eight hours. I mean, I, I don't have any memory of a night wow. where I feel like I've been able to put in eight hours sleep just because, it's like, yeah, it's just, that's just the way it is. It's like, but that's just how things keep coming, you know? So, <laughs> but right. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I what are some like, uh, you know, you know what I looked at your, the video that you guys have on the site and I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Uh, what was like the inspiration for that? That sort of, so marketing? which one on the Kickstarter one or the, uh, the, the, sleep? I think it was your main site. Yeah, it was like the the guy who came in and um, uh, was like touched a machine oh, or something yeah, yeah. and like fell asleep. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, well, you know, um, I have to credit my partner most for this. Like, he's just really good at storytelling and like kind of like putting together a story to like relate to people. And um, I, so I don't myself, like we always kind of envisioned we were going to do like, you know, videos and such. And we've kind of tried to use the same um, actor for everything, but you know, kind of like, I don't know, I guess it's maybe our style just to kind of keep things lighthearted and, you know, in a relatable way and kind of like try to tell the story visually, but in a short and kind of a short um, frame of time, because, you know, especially like for a product like ours, we kind of think like, you know, it's one of those things, like you really got to try out to know if you like it. So we kind of think like, you know, like uh, putting out some kind of video that like where people can kind of see the product and demo it, but then adding in humor, which we think helps always was kind of just, uh, yeah, I guess that just kind of came together to do it in the way we've done it. And we probably are going to do a lot more videos next year. Um, we, we think we've got some other ideas. So like, you know, we've, 
so we've actually got a smaller uh, portable device coming out in about two weeks. Um, actually, we can show it to you right, right here. So this one's, uh, we call it Snooze Go. Um, so we're probably going to be trying to do, so this one's kind of like, a, we're trying to call it like the ultimate uh, travel speaker is basically what we're calling behind it. So it's like, it's a white noise machine. Um, it's digital. So it's not as good of quality, I think, as our original product, but it's, um, but we create the sound uh, algorithmically. So there's a processor that's kind of creating in real time. So nothing loops. And then it doubles as a Bluetooth speaker. So like, you know, kind of thinking people on the road. So we actually have been developing this for, we started this um, in November of 2018. So actually it's been two years actually it took us to get to this point, but we did it because we want to have kind of a complementary product, but that doesn't cannibalize our existing product. And then we also think like in terms of making videos, you know, it's easier to tell story. I mean, telling a story visually, we think it's just important. And that was kind of our inspiration behind it, but we think it's easier. If, it's hard with one product. I think to tell the story, I think like it, it's just, you know, it's like, uh, cause like we're telling the, the story of the product, but it's also the kind of the company. Cause I, you know, it's like, you think of like a company like Dyson, right? I mean, 50% is the product, but 50% is the brand. You know, it's like, it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, Dyson's Dyson. Like people just buy it because it's a Dyson. You know, I'm like, we've heard recently of uh, big companies pulling out of retail. I thought I heard Nike recently was pulling out of some retail. And I think they can do that because they're like, hey, they're, they're Nike. You know, like people could just go to their website. It's like people know it. And like, so like we find so much value in that brand and it just become kind of like a trusted brand. Um, we think the video is just so important for telling that story because it's kind of really telling a little bit of our personality um, and kind of, you know, and especially on Amazon where it's a lot of products right. are, um, I call them like Alibaba resale products. You know, it's just a lot of people going on Alibaba, getting some kind of cheap, you know, product and then just dumping it on Amazon and you would never gotcha. know. And in order to stick out, I think we have mm -hmm. to be a brand. And in order to do that, I think these videos are almost like critical, you know, that we tell that story visually to people and kind of get them to kind of know us in a weird way. I know it sounds strange, but it's the only way I can describe it and why it's, we feel it's so important, you know, <laughs> you know, but that will become more relevant in the future. I think because, you know, our goal is really to move beyond white noise. Um, and I think, You'll see something come out in um, Q1 of 2021 in that regard. So like we really want to be like an air and sound company, but with just, I'd say air, sound and temperature we're interested in, but only in the bedroom. Like if the product can't survive in the bedroom, we have absolutely no interest in it. Um, I don't, I don't want to kind of segue to a different point, but I, since I brought it up, I'm just going to say that one of the early mistakes I made and, and maybe some other um, companies would, can relate to this or appreciate kind of the tip is that I always, you know, like, I don't want to say my role in the company is, but like if I have a talent and I, you know, it's, I always feel like I have like product ideas, like ways I'm like, Oh, you know, and, and the downside to that is that you can really distract you. And I'd always tell my partner and say, Hey, you know, why don't we do, I mean, always in the air and sound space, but I say, why don't we should do something with, you know, you know, uh, window air conditioners or bathroom exhaust fans my partner was always like, no, no, no. Like, let's stay focused on the bedroom. And I used to always get frustrated at the beginning. I'm like, no, we should broaden, you know, more and more is better. But over time, I've really come to this conclusion. That is the absolute worst approach ever. The best approach is to totally figure out like, what's your core competency? And just stick to that, stick to that little kind of area and just do it 
really well, like become like world-class, like the absolute leader in that space. So for us, it's the best. So I'm right now at a point where if I have a new idea, I'll write it in a book, but that's it. I don't, I don't mess with it. The product is not in the bedroom. It's not related to sleep and doesn't involve air, sound, or temperature. Just I'm moving on. I'm like, there's just nothing that will shake me from that point. And ever since I did that, I, I feel like everything's just been kind of moving at a much faster pace because, you know, like you're, it's, it's scary. I think like, and I think the reason I always wanted to think of different products is like divert, you know, there's safety in being diversified because you think, well, if something goes wrong here, then you can do this and get this one. But, and that might be true. There's safety in it. But if you really want to grow, I think focus um, is the key. And there was actually a guy that I, one of our mentors who owned a, pretty large company actually around here. And he told me he only had one book in his office. This is just recently I was talking about something. He told me, you know, and he sold his company for, for quite a bit, like hundred million dollar plus range. And he told me, he goes, you know, I had one book in my whole office and then the title of the book was focus. And, <laughs> and he said that he used to stand at the door or he said that like, he would tell people that my job was to stand at the door of the company and tell people we don't do that here because people would always be pitching ideas. And it was just to keep the company completely aligned on what their kind of core mission was because, and not get distracted. But it took me four years to kind of realize that that that's true. Like, and that's probably why um, companies will fail is that, well, one of the reasons why, you know, like one of our investors, we have uh, Sarah Ventures, which is a local kind of venture capital firm is one of our investors in Illinois. And you know, I always ask, why do companies fail? Why do you start like you've, you know, they see a lot of companies and they see some really do well and some do bad. And I was asking, why do companies fail? And, you know, and like, there's a whole host of reasons, but you know, top reasons are, you know, getting distracted, like not being focused enough on your one product, like I said, or, you know, and the other one usually is that he said, like, you know, founders kind of give up at some point, like, you know, the temptation of a uh, kind of the stable job, basically they succumb to that at some point. So, <laughs> so, so I've tried to keep uh, both those in mind. Um, and plus it's going to take a lot more, <laughs> you know? So yeah. anyway, and he's right. He's been right on a lot of things. So, you know, a bit of humility, I think in all this, this path is you learn that like what you think, you know, most of it's wrong, <laughs> but gets replaced with the right information eventually. <laughs> right. Um, the last point, Eli, that I want to touch upon is the subject of passion, since it seems like um, when you were building the product, there was a lot of passion. And at some point um, during the product creation process, I think you said uh, you were like, oh, I'm so sick of this, right? Like, where's your head at? Um, and do you think that's an important factor for people to have passion in the product? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend to know what everybody else, because I think everybody else is thought differently. But yeah, I mean, like, I, for me personally, sure, like, passion definitely is a big driver for me to the point that it, like, it almost, like, works against me at times because, like I say, like, you know, what keeps you up past midnight, it's usually the passion to kind of keep pushing through, you know. Um, so without that passion, it, it, it would definitely, I don't think this would have worked. Passion about what is, I think, probably a deeper question. Like, is it is it the product? Is it helping people? Is it building the company? Is it seeing people employed? I'd probably say all of it is really, well, and they all came at different phases, you know, like, you know, like all the fun is in, in the beginning. I've learned that, you know, so like in the, in the beginning, it's, it's the passion drives you because you're creating something and you can see it come alive. And that's, 
that that will, that creates i mean that really there's a lot of passion that will come from just seeing that kind of creation you know like i mean you have an idea and then it's a product and it's well like this is it's been manifesting now into a physical object and then the second level of passion i think is when you take that creation and people actually like it you know like that's there's a whole i mean that just that's kind of like a major passion boost <laughs> and then you know the, the third maybe step to that is that like we actually see it can make money and you could survive off of it, you know, because let's face it. I mean, money's not everything, but it, it certainly makes life easier. And, you know, and like, and we all need it, you know, just even at the basic level and, you know, we're probably still surviving at the basic level. So like, we don't really have the, the passion that's coming from any money just yet. But, but just the fact that you can see, you know what, like maybe we can grow this thing huge, but even, but right now, like it's still providing enough that we can survive off it. That's, that's pretty, that's a pretty amazing thing. Um, but then I'd say the greatest passion, which drives me now is really just seeing that like, you know, I can give somebody um, a job and I can actually, they like it. They like working, you know, like they can like working here. And like, you know, that's really, uh, that's a difficult thing. So my last year, that's, that's a really difficult thing. Like my last year at Caterpillar, I spent an entire year on an employee satisfaction committee. It was a volunteer thing I did. And all I did was talk to people and ask them, do they like their job? What, what don't they like? What would they like to be better? And like, I feel like I learned so much about what people like and don't like about working. And I can tell you, compensation was the last thing. Like when I really dug deep into it, it was just the last thing that people were, were upset about if they were upset about anything. I think at the core of it, it was always, you know, they want to be passionate about their work. And um, smart people are always at a dis well, they're always at a disadvantage. I always feel like too, because a lot of people who are smart think like, Hey, I'm smart. Like, and they get frustrated because people don't recognize their intelligence maybe. But what I, you know, I think the flip side to that is that there's more to lot, you know, being smart is only 50%. The other 50% is how you engage with people. And, and um, anyways, but having your own, our own company, I, I think provides us a way to employ people and, well, to kind of train them and to help them learn that, like, you know, like, I feel like I, like, it's so important to me to make sure that people work for us are like the happiest people in the world. And, you know, I, like, I want them to like love their job and to share our passion. And um, from my experience at Caterpillar, I'd say like, I feel like I've been trying to apply that, you know, like, you know, help people recognize, like, you know, train them, make sure they're trained, not just in you know, hiring smart people, but make sure those people are also trained and knowing that like, you know, there's another 50% out there, which is just how you work, how you stay organized, how you engage with people, like, you know, becoming likable, being a likable person. That's actually, it's kind of difficult sometimes, maybe some difficult for more people than others, but just to be a likable person like that, that can probably get you so far in life if you're just likable. So I'd say like right now, that's the greatest passion I have, have and it's, uh, and it's, and reflecting back, it's the greatest passion on the whole journey that drives me forward is right now is just seeing that like, you know, this product that started from literally a CD spindle was the first prototype I made is out of CD spindles has now come to a point where it's like, you know, supporting, you know, giving a job to people and stuff. I mean, that's, um, yeah, that's something, that's something special that, uh, even if, you know, things completely go sideways in the future, like I will forever be grateful just to have had that small experience of it. But obviously I'm, I'm quite bullish and I don't think things are going to collapse at any point, but <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any closing thoughts that you have for the audience? Well, no, I mean, you know, 
I mean, the only closing thought I would give is like, you know, um, maybe two thoughts I'd say on the, the company side, if there are any new companies out there, you know, like it's going to be, a, I mean, lightning in the bottle does strike, you know, lightning in the bottle happens occasionally. You can catch it. <laughs> so some companies might just explode and, and feel like everything just went perfect. But I think the common path is it's going to be difficult and there's going to be like massive disappointments and you're going to be told as we were told many times the market's too small like we won't survive so you know um intellectual honesty is really important that like you listen to people around you but if you know it's also important too that you don't let that discourage you um too much and then i'd say on the consumer side when i was just a consumer you know i'd buy products and i'd always think like oh this thing why don't they do this or why don't they do that um what i've learned is uh it's incredibly difficult to make a change. Like there's the balance of production. And I mean, it just throws everything. So, you know, like I've become more forgiving on products as well, you know, just because I understand like, you know, especially for a smaller companies, it's just really hard to, you know, we get requests all the time. Can you do this? Can you do that? And we always want to try it, but um, it's just, you know, we're always so constrained by resources. It's, it's hard. So but anyway, those are probably the, now that I'm on both sides of it, I've kind of, seen both and that's my last thoughts if you didn't have time to take notes for this episode get your full text summary notes and links along with all of the top tips from this episode at unstoppablebusiness.com slash podcast